Hey, welcome to the Common Good Podcast. Uh, it's the 25th of January. It's a Wednesday, and we like to give a little extra focus to the role that faith plays in bringing about the common good in our world because, you know, we want to help all people, but especially faith voters, to figure out how to separate their identities, their political identity, and their faith identity when, when necessary. If they feel like the commitment to one holds them back from the other. So that's what we do around here. And, um, on, on our YouTube channel, this goes live, and we hope that if you're watching it anywhere, you'd be watching it over on our YouTube channel and, you know, give us a, all the things you're supposed to do over there, likes and follows and all that. But it chooses some some frame from the video to put up, you know, when it's when it's live um, as the, the standing sort of thumbnail. And for whatever, maybe it's just because we're always making ugly faces, uh, but <laughs> it's just amazing how the faces that we have, uh, any of us who are on here. Just really capturing our essence. Just yeah, really, really awkward. Awkward <laughs> <laughs> people. Uh, so uh, good morning to you, Dan. Good morning to you, Austin Marsman, who's um, joining us from West Michigan. Good to see oh, you. Oh, hey, that's where I'm at too. I'm down in uh, the Stevensville, St. Joe area, right on the lake. You two ought to, you two ought to hook up for lunch today. You know, yeah. a little uh, a little lunch lunch meeting. Um, back in the old, old world before COVID and when I was a pastor, I had a lot of like just regular meetings. Like I'd get up and be like, no, I'm meeting somebody at this coffee shop. I'm meeting somebody at this lunch. I have this Tuesday breakfast. Mm-hmm. Since p- partially leaving that job and then COVID, I, I just stay in my basement and think, <laughs> yeah. did I shower yesterday or? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So um, I don't get just, out much. It's really something, isn't it? Like I don't know. Maybe it's just us. Or maybe it's not everybody. But how how is the weather there in uh, in West Michigan? By the way, uh, we've got a few uh, inches of snow now. So all right, congratulations. Cleaned it up. To, yeah, we're supposed to get uh, maybe six inches and a few more inches of lake effect snow tomorrow. So we'll okay. see. Okay. Well, good luck to you on the icing and shoveling. Yeah. And the, yeah. And we got a. Uh, we've got. Snow tubes? Are you? You know, a lot of people are into sledding, but uh, that's not as smooth a ride as the snow tubes. So we've got the kids have a bunch of tubes, you know, inflatable inner tubes that you yeah. glide down the the hills with. Yeah, it's luxury. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's the it's the luxury SUV of going down a hill. Yep, the inner tubes. Yeah, the kids are already chomping at the uh, let's get out there today right yeah, after school. A little mm-hmm. bummed that it wasn't a snow day. Okay, but they don't even and, really do snow days now. It just transitions yeah, to an e-learning day, which is like, what's the point? <laughs> right, it's like a snow day, uh, but doesn't you don't have to add it on to the end of the school year. Yeah. I don't know if you get too many of them, are they are your kids the type that are like, Dad, you have to come out with us. You've got to get out in uh, in snow uh, hill. Totally. With us. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Fun story. I uh, actually broke a rib trying to be the cool dad a couple winters ago. Yeah, we had these uh, snurf boards. You're familiar with snurf yeah. boards? They're like yeah. the original snowboards. It's just like a wooden ski with a rope at the nose, mm-hmm. and uh, you glide down the the hill on it. It's just like staples on the top to make your feet sort of stick to the top of it. Yeah, yeah. And you just let it rip, you know. And uh, I was like, eh, I still got it. I'll hop on this and show the kids how it's done. I go down this hill, hit the smallest of bumps, and just spill, land wrong, and cracked a rib. Like, oh my <laughs> <legs>. <laughs> Cracked 
couldn't breathe for a month. Yeah. No, no deep she breaths. So bad. The kids were like, Dad, what's wrong with you? Don't worry about it. Yeah. Everything's <laughs> fine. Yeah. Wasn't yeah, that cool? Hurts. <laughs> it hurts. I'm all right. Uh, a, a, a broken rib is, man, it is a real thing. That is, um, you know, you're glad it's protecting your lungs because that would be the end of you. But, man, you get that just oh, a little yeah. out of place or something. and it hurts it to is, breathe it, for like three weeks. Yeah. Yes, it is stunning. It is really a complex system. Hey, and hello there to Ruth. Uh, good to see you here. Hey, today on the uh, on the faith um, themed podcast, I'm going to share a video that I actually recorded yesterday with Denise McGraw and uh, Professor Howard Horton. Um, they they run this really great little kind of TV show thing. It's it's really really excellent. Once a week, I uh, hope you'll. Um, maybe make it a part of your your regular um, uh, viewing. It's called Community Conversations, and they really talk about the effects of diversity and equality and inclusion and allyship and how people can be engaged. They do this particular work out of Albany, New York, um, and they were uh, kind enough to to ask uh, me to come on and talk about Vote Common Good. Partly because Denise has traveled with us in the Vote Common Good bus. She's a she's a, a busy. She's a roadie. Uh, and she also helped to start, uh, along with Patrick Carolyn, the expression of Vote Common Good that is specifically designed for Catholics. It's called Catholics Vote Common Good. And um, it was important to, to create uh, an effort that had Catholic in it because so many people's faith, um, the way we think about our, our, our faith in the United States tends to be in with really important descriptors and adjectives you know you're not you're not just christian or you're not just faithful or something you're a particular type so you might be a catholic or you might be a protestant or you might be a presbyterian or you might think of yourself as an evangelical or as a spiritual but not religious like there's some qualifier that's in there and those identity markers are really important for people so our effort of uh, catholics vote common good is the same stuff we do all around but want to be sure we're inviting catholics anyway and denise has done a great job of organizing all that work so it's a bit of a bit of an insider conversation that we had over on this other project that she's up to. It's other things she has going on. So it was really, really quite, um, quite, quite a fun conversation. And I thought that what came out of it would be super interesting for other people to listen to because so often on this podcast and live stream, we don't often talk about the the, the origins of Vote Common Good, how and why we got started, uh, what. What, what we're really do like we're, we're not describing what we're doing around here. We're just doing it, right? So I thought it might be interesting for you to hear these descriptions of what we're doing. Uh, our organization has a chance to talk about what we do with a lot of different groups. We're on a variety of podcasts. We're in news articles. We're talking to organizations about what we do. And it struck me that so often people in those settings get this like clear distilled sort of explanation about what we're up to and how this all came about and what the role of Christianity plays in vote common good and Christian voters and faith voters of all varieties and all this stuff. But then people who are on the receiving end of a lot of our content don't often get that kind of a description because we're busy doing it. You, you, you know what I mean, Dan? I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a curious, kind of a curious thing, right? That you, that the, the more, experiential side is what people who are in our stream get and the more distilled explanatory side is what other people get. And I think the two really go well together. So uh, we thought we'd maybe, um, thought today we'd show you that conversation and maybe you'll find that find that helpful as you sort of describe to yourself and others, hey, what what is Vote Common Good and what are they up to and what is it that they're doing? So Yeah, I think we assume that people 
have been with us from the start and kind of know what we're up to. But you know, folks are finding us every day on YouTube or mm-hmm. Facebook mm-hmm. or the different pages we're at. And so, yeah, I think this is a great uh, catch you up to speed episode of how did we get started? Why did we get started? What is it we do? And why do we do it? Yeah, and it's also interesting because what Denise and uh, and the doctor are doing on this show is they're talking about you know the role of diversity and equity and inclusion and allyship, and so many of the things that we do at Vocamiga come out of that same work. Um, Doctor Horton does work; in, he'll talk about this in the podcast uh, that will show or in the video that will show, but he does work in community development, and that's kind of that's a language set that goes that operates inside of a certain social engagement sector of society. We also do community development work, but we don't tend to call it that. We we use a different set of terms and descriptors for, you know, what we're what what we are up to, and what we're doing. But they're very similar uh, projects and very similar activities. So that becomes a part of it. And and I think people will will like the conversation. I hope, and will certainly like uh, Denise and Dr. Horton, and think that you'll find uh, find some really strong value in it. So you can find all of this over at their their page. I need to sort of get that up. Um, if you, uh, if you search for, uh, community conversations, um, in, uh, on, on the social media places and diversity, equity, inclusion, and allyship, and we'll put this in the, the notes here on the thing. So down below after the podcast is up and the YouTube channel is up, you'll have a chance to find what they do. They do it every, every Tuesday. I, th- and I think it actually goes out on public access television, That's which awesome. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you remember watching uh, Saturday Night Live back when they had you know Wayne's World on, and it was oh, yeah. you know community <laughs> community television, and that is so lodged in my in my brain that many days I try to think that's not what we're doing here. This is not Wayne's World. <laughs> we're, we're we're doing this on the internet and streaming, you know, on uh, Twitch. We're not just on some uh, community local access. Local, yeah, but. We if really this should were be on local world, access. I would love it. Yeah. 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 We should find some <laughs> find some way to get on local access. You could just reach behind you there, grab that cherry red guitar right. and uh <laughs> and hit world, it. <laughs> um, uh really something. Okay, so uh do you think we need any more uh, explanation? Do you think we need any more? <laughs> uh Denise says party time excellent. That's me. <laughs> oh, and there's Denise right there. Yeah. I mean, how meta is this? Now Denise is going to be in the comments. Uh, commenting about a video, video where she's interviewing you. This is it's a lot. What and also, hello to Dora. Hey, Dora. Dora, if 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 you've any of you have watched our documentary f- uh, pieces for the documentary we were making about the border, Dora is um, one of our uh, participants in that. She traveled with us. Is one of the speakers. Um, Dora. Rodriguez is one of the best that you'll ever know. So hi, Dora. Good to see you. Uh, hope all is well. And we're coming back to see you, Dora. And by the way, friends, we are going to be heading back to the border. Uh, that's our plan anyway. Uh, so some details coming together on that pretty soon. Um, hey, uh, if, if I mentioned this, the use of the phrase without further ado, have I given you my thing? No. So I, uh, I don't know why in podcasts and YouTube videos, which of which I consume a lot, when people are setting up something that's about to happen, they they will use this phrase, you know, without further ado. Mm-hmm. And it's the only time I ever hear that phrase. Like right. somehow it's, <laughs> like, first of all, oh, who's whipping out the French? And secondly, like, why does it seem like it's something you would say when you're hosting 
a, a video yeah. or, or or an audio stream. Did I you was, hear it too? Well, have I I have said it, and I was even <laughs> scripting out an intro for a podcast the other day, and I was like, yeah. I I wrote it out, and I was like, that's so weird to say. I can't say that, oh so gosh, I changed it is, to something else. But the temptation is, so, is just lodged there. Like that's what you say when you're introducing something. So. Yes, it's really, I, I mean, nowhere it's else. it's the in, only time you say <laughs> Yeah, nowhere else in my life I've introduced a lot of things and never have I said, without further ado. There's not, there's <laughs> don't not even much know technically what that word before means. Before that, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, and I just about said it here um, <laughs> without without further ado. Um, and then had to catch myself, like, no, don't don't fall into the ado trap. This is this is uh, <laughs> yeah. this is ado nonsense. All right. Um, so here's here's the conversation with uh, Denise McGraw and Professor Doctor Howard Horton uh, on the uh, community conversations about diversity, equality, inclusion, and allyship from. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, out of the Allegheny, the, the the Albany, New York area, and I, I think I'm I think the capital district of New York is what they call it. So anyway, that's all those pieces. So uh, thank you, Denise, for being here today. Thanks for the uh, conversation yesterday. And without further ado, here, here we go. Hi there, Doc. How are you today? I'm doing great, Denise. How about yourself? Okay, okay. So Good. I was joking um, before we started. Uh, this is a first for us. We have a, a guest that we haven't had before. Um, he's somebody that I've been working with for um, a little while now. I've admired his work for a long time and then finally, you know, got in on it. Um, Doug Paget is the executive director of and the founder of Vote Common Good, which is that's how I know him. But like a lot of people on this show and us, too, he wears a lot of hats, literally and figuratively. Um, he is a pastor. He is um, a, a, he is an author of 10? 10 yeah. books, Doug? Yeah. Yeah, 10 <laughs> books you've never heard of. Yeah, that's the, There we go. Well, it's 10 more impressive. than I've written. <laughs> <laughs> Doc has a number two. I got to get in. I have to start writing, I guess. Sure um, and he, he's just done extraordinary work throughout the country on um, on the kind of things that we talk about each week at this show, which is um, raising up all voices, um, you know, batting back forces of hate that are just too prevalent in our society, in our politics, in our discourse. So I, I got to know him. I um, he does a number of cool things, including um, taking a bus across the country and, and getting good people elected. I have been on that bus and, and I intend on getting on that bus again. I am on the bus permanently. Um, That's right. But I want to welcome Pastor Doug Paget. How are you today, Doug? Well, I'm very good. Thank you. And uh, Doc and Denise, so good to be with you. It's really, really an honor and exciting. Thanks. Well, thank you for being here. Well, you, you know, uh, Doug, the way we like to start is we like for our viewers to get to have a sense of, of how our guests became who they are. And so can, can you take us back just a little bit? Tell us how you became the great Doug. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm from Minnesota. That's where I live now. Grew up grew up here and have uh, lived here almost all of my life. And I grew up in a family that didn't have any religious orientation at all. 
We never went to church. We didn't talk about church. I never felt like I was skipping church on Sunday. <laughs> uh, I had no orientation to that to that religious world at all. But then when I was a teenager, um, the I became a Christian through the influence of a friend, and this was in the early 1980s. And there was this little sliver of Christianity at that time, at least where I was, that were these generous, kind, inclusive evangelicals. They were the kind that, you know, um, were sort of uh, thought of when you thought of Jimmy Carter as being mm -hmm. an evangelical, an evangelical mm -hmm. president, you know, that that kind of person. And so I fell in with that with that group. And um, the, the story of Christianity became really interesting to me. Um, it kind of fit my life and fit where I was. And I got in deep. So I, uh, I, I found myself inside the Christian world, ended up going to a Christian college really to play basketball there um, mm -hmm. as, a, as a basketball. But I didn't know there were Christian colleges. Like, if you don't grow up in that sort of subculture, right. you, might, you might not know how all this stuff works. I wasn't even thinking about college at all. Um, but then ended up uh, being around the people that were uh, associated with that college and here in Minnesota. And um, the, the, the kind of world that I grew up in was um, a world full of people who were outcasts and left behind and let mm. down people for whom the system didn't work. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in an apartment complex. We had, um, there were a lot of uh, people who were, for, who were new to the country. There were a lot of people who were uh, set aside for some reason, divorced women, uh, gay men, transgender people uh, living in this apartment complex. And so that was just sort of the world that I knew. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it seemed to me that the Christianity that I was introduced to was a really good news to all those people, right? It was kind of a, a Christianity for the left out and the left behind and the let down. Um, so that that was my original uh, story into, into the faith. You know, and then I went off to seminary, college and seminary and realized, boy, not everybody thinks about Christianity like that at all. Uh, there's a lot of people for whom their Christianity is not seen as um, an inclusive force to make society better and to deal mm -hmm. with the societal and racial and justice issues, but rather it's a participant in the the harmful side of so many of those issues. So I found myself both highly engaged in my Christian faith and at odds with it sort of right from the beginning. Right. <clears throat> interesting interesting and so now you're becoming a christian and certainly now a pastor obviously there were a, a lot of challenges perhaps even some pushback that you experienced why don't yeah. you share share those challenges with us yeah um you know when, when you're not in a when you're not raised inside of a particular tradition you're for a long time seen as an outsider right and and i thought that was okay i thought it was actually a pretty good place to be uh in the christian uh life and experience um and sometimes people see outsiders as intriguing and sometimes they see them as dangerous and mm -hmm. i tried to stay away from the people who saw uh outsiders as dangerous and tried to find the people who saw uh, folks from different experiences and backgrounds to be to be interesting and to be intriguing um and and because i believed uh, and this didn't really come from my christianity i think it i don't know it was just sort of up in my world somehow that uh -huh. we are supposed to help change the systems and structures and uh, dynamics of the world so that more and more people don't have to be afraid and feel like they have enough and 
those kinds of themes just ran through all the uh, conversations I was having, the way I read the Bible, it kept showing me that that was the theme of the of the Christian text and of the Jewish text and of the mm-hmm. Christian history. Like that was the way it was supposed to be. So when I would run into people who had much more stake in the game, they were long-term members, they were pastors of churches, they were seminary professors, whatever. Like they were just people that were deeply inside the system. I didn't feel like this was a religion or a movement of spirituality, Christianity, I'm going to talk about here, uh, that it was a something that was owned by those people. Mm-hmm. It um, it kind of felt like all of us. I, I don't know, like somehow I got into some early version of, you know, the people's history of Christianity, you know, <laughs> and I was like, hey, there's a way to think about this story that is um, designed to help us leave behind our biases, to leave behind mm-hmm. our separations. And to do. so I, I was as much the agitator uh, in my in my world <laughs> as the one being pushed against, right? People are like, that guy's kind of a pain in the, you know. Uh, I and, understand. And, and, and I didn't mind that. Um, um, I felt like that role was was important. That's ultimately what got me into Vote Common Good. And then I was pastoring a church for a really long time and trying to help. Will you talk about that a little bit before we get into Vote Common Good? Um, you know, it's not every day that you meet people who have taken their life to that next point, which is being the pastor of a church. You know, we see a lot of people now who um, are pastors, are rabbis, are priests. Um, they talk a lot about... Um, not hating each other and anti-racism and all this stuff. But, you know, when push comes to shove, they're not the people on the front line. Doug, you're living it. And so how did you get to like being a pastor and then to vote common? Well, I assumed that if there was going to be a kind of church that I thought should exist in order to embody and carry and and push forward this, this narrative and notion, um, if these kinds of churches were going to exist, Somebody had to make them. Yeah. I, I studied anthropology and sociology in, in college, and that world allow, allowed me um, to recognize th- that human systems and structures are created by people. You know, you, when you start doing sociology and you do ethnographic research and you start hearing stories, you, you realize things don't just exist. Like there's some a few things, I guess, in in the in nature that are just here. There's forces that are alive and well. But all the rest of the stuff that we're involved in, it has people's fingerprints all over it. Like it's, you know, it's not a who done it. We know who makes the systems and structures that we have. And there's people and you can talk to them and they'll tell you why they made things and how they built them and uh, people made it. So I always assume two things. One, if people made it, then people can change it. Right. And if we don't change it, whether that's our laws or our system, or our structures, or our habits, or our behaviors, then that's a choice we're making at some level. Right, and it mm-hmm. might not we might not have full agency, but it's something that we're we're we are we are culpable of. Our our DNA is all over this crime scene, right? So if we made it, we can change it, and we can make it. So I came from the kind of world that was just full of entrepreneurs, and you know, in the evangelical subset of Christianity, people just start things all the time. They form organizations, they start churches. When I was hanging around my Catholic friends who were, you know, studying to be priests there. And I was telling, you know, I was working on starting churches and they would be working in other spaces like college ministries at campuses and doing very yeah. similar kind of work. Right. Yeah. But I was like, no, I'm going to start a church. 
and they would just smirk and be like, yeah, you Protestants, you can't just start a church. Like that is what church. I think when I hear that. <laughs> like the church exists, right? So when I'm around those people, I say, well, we're starting a congregation, right? We're starting an outpost. We're starting one of the places, right? So you begin to realize, well, there's all this different language. There's all these different ways that we frame this and they're all great and they're all helpful. And we really need one another's perspectives and accents on this in order to understand more deeply uh, what it is that we're that we're talking about. So I just thought we should start churches. In the world that I was in, it was all entrepreneurial startup stuff. You started with no money, you rallied up a group of people. We had a lot of people in their um uh, early 20s and college-aged people. You know, I was 30, 31 or something like that. And pastors by the way tend to start and lead churches within 10 years of either side of their age. So one of the mm -hmm. things that you that you see when you go into churches is you find the primary leaders and you look 10 years, maybe 15 years either side of them, and that's going to be the, the, the makeup of the congregation. This just tends to be a truism in church work really all around the world, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, you know, I was about 30, 31. So I had a church with a lot of people in their 20s, a few people up into their 40s. I was there for 20 years. So, you know, we just all mm -hmm. got we just all got, got all together. Bit. Yeah, yeah. Um but you know, and we were so we were starting it with what we had. Like we were we were housemade, you know, kind of place. We we did we weren't starting um weren't starting a franchise, you know, we weren't yeah. opening another Chipotle. Uh, <laughs> we weren't doing a, a Presbyterian version. Like it was just <laughs> housemade stuff. So we made our own music, we made our own art, we made up our own sermons, we made up our own systems and structures and trying to create something that looked more like the dream that we had for the way mm -hmm. the world would operate. We got a lot of pushback and you know, we involved um, everybody in, in all ways and leadership and stuff. You know, if they were, if, unless there was some reason a person wasn't safe for the community, we just involved everybody. Um, so it didn't matter. Didn't even matter if you, if you held the same belief that we held, if you wanted to be part of this community, right? So we're starting this Christian church with, everybody uh participating and and doing so um so that was a kind of democratized version of christian spirituality in the early 2000s and mm -hmm. and and was i was working in that area for for a long time so that's 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 what i was up to and in a lot of ways the work i do in vote common good and politics and all is really an extension of that same thing like to me it's the same it's the same impulse if someone were mixing the if all this stuff that I did back then was music and we were in a dance club and someone were mixing the yeah. early 2000s music, they could end up into the 2023 music, uh, right? Mm. It, would, uh, it would sound different and it is different. You know, I'm not pastoring in that in that specific way anymore, but it really is about the same kind of impulses inside of a different setting. So to me, it all sort of moves together for people. It's, you know, it's, it's separate photos. Tell me about this picture. Tell me about this picture. And to me, it's a moving, yeah. moving film that just moves from one to the other. So well, it's know. interesting that you put it that way, because when you were talking about um, your congregation, your church and the music and the, that to me, was what my experience of being on the bus and being part of Vote Common Good was. You know, the music plays an enormous part of what you're doing out there on the road and, you know, and engaging a lot of different voices and a lot of different folks who may have different perspectives in some aspects, right? On, on, the, on the edges, we might like do things a little differently. But at the end of the day, I always felt like the folks on the bus and pe people who are part of all this have the same heart. Had the same yeah, big totally. vision 
of where of where we were going. So what's vote common good, Doug? How'd you get there? Yeah. So these, so are, these are Doc's questions, but you know, you're my guy tonight. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a backseat today. <laughs> I, I'm glad uh, I'm glad to tell both of you about it. Um, vote Common Good is a nonprofit organization that exists to reach out to faith voters, specifically the people that I know well, um, evangelicals and Catholics, mainly white evangelicals and white Catholics, who have found themselves because of the systems and structures they've been in religiously tied into a political ideology and political party that came as a package deal. For a lot of people, their religion and their politics were wedded together and they didn't really feel like they had a choice. Sometimes in our world, we joke, it was like you pulled up to the Wendy's and you ordered the number two and it just came with the fries, right? And <laughs> you told yourself you weren't gonna eat the fries, but you ate the fries, right? So a lot of people end up going to a church, say an evangelical church or other kinds, and they get into it and they believe in it and they join the people in their work and life in the world. And the next thing they know, there's a political agenda and ideology and commitment that goes with that. And for a lot of people separating those two identities, their religious identity and commitments and beliefs from their political identities and religion and belief is really difficult, even when they're at odds. So what we've realized is this is an identity issue for people. Well, most things are identity issues. You know, you talk to your your therapist right. friends and they're like, you know, a lot of issues people are dealing with. It's about it's about the story we're telling ourselves and how we see ourselves in the world and all this. So what we did at Vote Common Good was to start an effort to specifically help people who were trying to separate their evangelical and Catholic or Christian identities from their Republican identity. Not because we were telling people we didn't want them to be Republicans. That was their choice, right? We were trying to help people who didn't want to be Republican and didn't know how to separate those two things from each other. So that was the struggle that people were having. And we met so many people along the way for whom they just couldn't figure out how to leave one behind without the other. And frankly, if they were going to have to give up their faith or give up their political aspirations, they're going to give up their politics. In other words, they're right. going to keep voting for some because they're like, well, well you know, we, we all make excuses and rationalizations, mm -hmm. reasons for what we do. Right. And I don't use excuses and rationalizations lightly. They're really important. They're what, <laughs> they're what motivate us, you know, to do all the things we do, both both good and, and regretful in our in our lives. So that's what Vote Common Good is essentially helping people decide if they want to separate those identities so that they can decide what they want to do and have more agency and more freedom to do it. And that's one of the themes that for me has just been really important all along is that the human flourishing and human development requires a sense of agency, that people believe that th their own sense of being can have an impact on what they do and how they are in the world. And if you can help people um, have more of a sense of, of uh, connection to the beliefs that they hold, they tend to be more healthy people and 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 put together better beliefs, right? That just it's just one of the things that that works. And politics is not built that way. Boy, I'll tell you. I mean, we we work with politics, and it is as binary as religion. It's as binary as sports uh, cheering, you know, <laughs> or one or the other. And uh, the way you see yourself is in opposition to the other. And you know, that's just a human developmental stage of of recognizing oneself. And when you need to grow and develop. You have to, you have to create other ways of, of seeing yourself in the world. So that's what we're doing is helping people find agency. The way we do that 
is um, both working with voters and working with politicians. So when we work with voters, we do a lot of media, we do a lot of communication, we try to help tell a story, we try to connect uh, a community of people so that uh, if someone's making a political or um, religious change of some kind, they know that there's some people they can be with. Because we're human beings are social creatures and we are going to form ourselves into societies and communities. And we will we will be wrong before we want to be alone every mm -hmm. single time. Like, <laughs> there is just no doubt about it. And so we know that a lot of people need uh, a group, a community, a narrative that helps them understand who they are now, especially if they've been demonizing the people mm -hmm. that they're becoming. So if they were afraid of that group of people and now they're becoming that group of people, oh man, they're just like, uh, I don't know how to tell the story of my life. So that's what right. we do. And big part of that is we travel the country. So uh, that was a long wind up for this pitch. No, no, we, get on, we get on buses and drive around the country and hold events in places where we know the kinds of people are that we want to talk to about all this. I heard a lot of good things there. First, <laughs> you talked about entrepreneurship, something that, uh, I'm about and also that I teach, but you also talked about something else, uh, although you didn't use the term. You, you actually, you're doing community development and something else I teach and I do. And the fact is what you are creating a safe space for those uh, evangelicals who in fact don't want that, that, that uh, right-wing political orientation, a safe space so they can say, okay, yes, I can I can have my religious beliefs and still have a different set of political beliefs. And I there there's a place for me. I don't have to feel like I'm on the outside. And so you're giving them a, a, a sense of comfort so that they can actually be who they truly are. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a very important, a very important mission. It's also a very important service. And I applaud you for that. For sure, for sure. So now <clears throat> So now, where are you going? I mean, obviously it's twenty twenty four coming up, but <laughs> yeah. but 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 where do you see your your organization going for the? We formed in two thousand eighteen as a direct response to what we saw happening with the election of Donald Trump, who could not have been elected without the overwhelming support of the kinds of communities that we're working with, mm -hmm. and we noticed that. Democrats had basically given up on reaching out to voters who fit the demographics that we like to work with. So we wanted to move in both areas. We wanted to help the democratic system at least ask for the votes of these people, you know, mm -hmm. not, just, mm -hmm. not just ignore them or worse yet, ask them to, you know, not be part of what they're, what the democratic agenda is up to because the democratic parties doesn't have it figured out. The democratic party doesn't have all the answers. Um, the, the party systems are supposed to serve the people and not the other way around. And they need to include the people uh, from this community just as much as they include the people from all the communities. And we were trying to help them figure out how to do that. So that was a big, big piece of the work is the the real problem that came, came with Donald Trump. You know, in some ways, I, when the coronavirus um, hit and a lot of us watched public health officials come to the forefront and we mm -hmm. realized hey, these public health officials have been doing this stuff for right. you know, <laughs> decades, uh -huh. decades, right? You just never heard of them or thought of them or didn't even know what public health was if you heard heard about it. And all of a sudden there's, you know, an Anthony Fauci and a CDC director and all these people. And you were like, oh, in this emergency situation because of this virus, th the roles that these 
folks can play are really important. That became sort of an operative metaphor for how we understood what we were doing. Like there was a particular political virus that hit the system with the election of Donald Trump. It wasn't totally novel. It had been around, but uh -huh. this strain of the coronavirus, you know, that hit us in 2020 in, in the United States and around the world, and the very and the and the political virus that hit us in 2016 uh -huh. was of a different making. It's not just the same thing. You know, it's a little identical repetition. So it's similar to what we've seen before in our American history. But this one was also particular and unique and had some real unique threats to it that we thought our organization should address, <clears throat> should be working on. So after, you know, uh, the 2020 election, it became a question for us. How do we continue to operate in the world? Like, what's the best role for us? Um, and then that became pretty clear with the, <laughs> the next election and the, now the, you know, uh, the continuation of the, of the uh, Trump movement. Uh -huh. political leader so we're we're staying engaged and 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 we know that this work that we're doing is not only related to stopping a particular virus right like we're in the community health world if i can bend right. that or even Stay with it, yeah um but we have to do that work a little differently you know you can't keep um you can't keep the warning sirens going partly because it doesn't work people just stop paying attention to it um, mm -hmm. And also the people who do pay attention to it, it's not good for them, right? You can't stay on high alert. Right. At this time. level all right. the time, you right? Vibrating because you're so concerned. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Those of us who work in the nonprofit and social impact sectors of, of society, um, we know how potent it is to pull that, that emergency alarm. Right. Um, and it's really easy to, to do that. And funders respond to everyone responds well to that. But it's not good for. for but you can't maintain it, right? You yeah, can't. Right. So, so we're we're trying to figure that out. So Doug, this is a show that was created around a an, the anti-racism and allyship movement, and it was part of the reason I was attracted to vote common good to begin with, right? I'm a, a person of Christ, deep Christian faith, um, but I was seeing all this stuff out in the world, and it just didn't feel right to me. Around the same time, I met Dr. Horton, and you know, I kind of you know said, "There's a different way." And it's the way you talk a lot. There's a different path. There's a different way to go about these things. You talk about white Christian nationalism. And in the two minutes we have left, can you explain that to folks and, and why it's so concerning and, and why it's really become your work, my work, you know, and, and to try to beat this back? Because what is it? Yeah, we, well, we use the phrase white Christian nationalism to describe the situation of this particular uh, troubling movement in the United States that has a particular flavor to it. So it it's a catch-all idea, but the basic notion is that the United States is fundamentally Christian in its orientation and is fundamentally white in its orientation. And from that white Christian beginnings, it then will welcome and include others, right? I, I was in a diversity training and, um, online and heard the person say, um, how many of you are committed to uh, to diversity? You know, raise your hand in a little Zoom thing. Everyone does because they're in this thing. And then the presenter said, so in your mind, when you say diverse, you mean diverse from what? Right. And when we all realized we meant diverse from white, he said, that's mm -hmm. where we're going to start. 
And that's that's the the root of what goes on in the United States. And that gets then wrapped with a religious narrative that it's not only white, but it's Christian. Christian is a certain kind of Christian. It's not only right. a certain kind of Christian, it's a certain male kind of Christian. And all of a sudden, here we go. And so <laughs> dealing with so many of these uh, societal issues, you begin to see how they come back to these other core narratives. And so white Christian nationalism seeing the United States as that in that role with a special call from God to function in the world in a certain way gives people permission for all kinds of other things that they never otherwise would do or stand for or stick with. So we try to help deconstruct that world. In other words, help people understand how it was made. We're not yet demolishing it, but we can show <clears throat> how it was put together so that people can see that these systems and structures were made by people and can be unraveled um, in certain times and in certain places with certain efforts. So it's such important. It's such important work, Doug. And it, it just even explaining it to people, I think, is part <laughs> of that is part of it. Right. I mean, because, you know, you yeah. sort of hear it and in, 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 you first hear it almost in passing. And you're like, as you just said, I'm white, I'm Christian, you know, or, you know, Christian Annette, I, I, you know, you, all of these pieces taken individually. You know, but then when you put it all together and you understand, you know, the, the stew that it is and what it's doing to this country, that's when you say, I want to get, get on a bus and talk to people in Pennsylvania <laughs> and make sure they do the right thing. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. really, truly it. True, so truly. Just, and and we went to Pennsylvania because there was a particular threat of a person running for governor. There. <laughs> but I will say, not only do we get on buses, but we have curriculum for this, which is printable curriculum. Um, video curriculum. Please talk about all... that a little bit more. How can people get involved, Doug? Because I, I need to have you back, uh, you know, 10 more times. Yeah, or people. Yeah, so yeah. tell all the ways they can tune into what you're doing each day and, and what you've got going yeah. on and how. Well, there's a lot. Yeah. So on, yeah. Our, on our website, you can find all the stuff, which is votecommongood.com. Um, there's curriculum there for individuals and groups to use. There's a podcast just around Christian nationalism. There's um, a number of videos. We do a regular ongoing podcast three or four days a week. We have lots of videos that come out. A whole set of resources that people can use uh, to share to share these kinds of ideas and say to someone, "Hey, this is the kind of thing I've been I've been thinking about too." And that's what we hear a lot, right? We hear people say, "I am so glad to meet all of you." I've been thinking that too, right? That's I, you, I heard you, it firsthand when I traveled with you. I heard it firsthand with people going, "Oh, yeah." Yeah, the woman who walked up with her with her kid at that small Maybe. little event that we did in Hershey, Pennsylvania. She's like, I just live down the street, but this is exactly what I've been trying to say. I couldn't find anybody. That's that's the way a lot of people feel. You know, there's this, um, and, and look, the the racial inclusion, and I, I live in Minneapolis, so um, I, 2020 was was poignant, and I and I hope and believe that it can be a year in which we look back and see a real pivot having happened. But I will also say that the the forces that want to keep the kinds of structures that allowed uh, Derek Chauvin to kill George Floyd with the use of his of his police badge, those forces that want to support that, they are also organizing and working. Yes. And so these movements of inclusion and movements of racial equity have a counter side to them as well that are um, equally as as organized and aggressive and working. So there's there's a competition for the 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 future of the, the hearts and minds of the people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, dog, 
<laughs> Doc, I first of all, Doc. I told you he was good, right? Sorry, sorry for too Very good. For no, you know, the interesting that last thought you said in terms of there's a competition in a market of ideas, and um, and so you have to uh, you have to continue to to push on, continue to press on, continue to fight in, in order to actually bring about the positive social change that you're trying to achieve. Yeah. I want to applaud you and uh, and also encourage you to continue on, to push on. What you're doing is so needed, so needed. Because the bottom line is, when you start talking about uh, white Christian nationalists, the only person that they're actually going to listen to is another white person. Yes. And so let's be frank. And what you're doing is actually the Lord's work. Thank you. Uh, well, Doc, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out, <laughs> Dr. Jordan. You. Yeah. You're probably one of two or three white people we've ever had on the show. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there you have it. Might be two or three, two, two or three too many, but thank that. you for having me. <laughs> At seven o'clock, you go, who's that guy? And just not the normal guest we have. But what you're doing is so important. I know it become so meaningful to me. I know it can become more meaningful to so many people who watch this show each week. So Doug, I'm going to put you on the spot, please, if we can have you come back, um, especially as, you know, political season warms up and, and, you know, you know what your schedule is going to be and where you're going to be around the country so that people can, you know, connect with you. Um, once again, it's votecommongood.com. They've, they're on all kinds of social media. My phone beeps when he goes up with one of his broadcasts. Oh and boy. I always catch a few minutes of it because it's some, they're talking about all kinds of really cool things. And it's yeah. good people talking about interesting things. I can't think of a better way to include something in your day. 